Welcome to New Books and Philosophy, a podcast channel of the New Books Network, where we talk with philosophers about their new book. I'm Carrie Figdor, Assistant Professor of Philosophy at the University of Iowa, and I'm co-host of the channel along with Robert Talese. Today's interview is with Eric Marcus, Associate Professor of Philosophy at Auburn University. His book, Rational Causation, is just out from Harvard University Press. We often explain actions and beliefs by citing the reasons for which they are done or believed. The reason I took off my hat at the funeral was because I was paying respects to the deceased. And the reason I believed that taking off my hat was appropriate was because I believed that the deceased deserved respect. So much is part of what is sometimes called the space of reasons and reason giving, a space that people occupy, but objects like apples don't. We can explain an apple's falling because the wind blew strongly, but the explanation doesn't require us to ascribe any reasons to the apple. Acting for reasons is reserved for creatures with minds. What is the difference in the because when we say that I took off my hat because I was paying my respects and that the apple fell because the wind blew? How is this difference to be explained? Marcus takes on this complex question in an intriguingly unorthodox fashion. The orthodox view tries to assimilate rational causation to the same causal picture we use for apples. Marcus challenges the physicalistic framework in which this answer is embedded and argues for a position that is neither reductive nor dualistic. On his view, rational causation is a kind of difference-making that involves the exercise of special rational abilities. And as a result of these abilities, minds make a robust causal difference to what we do and what we believe that is independent of the way in which minds depend on brains. Let's turn to the interview. Hi, I'm with Eric Marcus. Are you there? Hi. Hi, Eric. Uh, welcome to New Books and Philosophy. I'm glad to be here. Um, so your your new book, uh, Rational Causation from Harvard U- University Press, is um, a, a highly unorthodox approach to a problem uh, within the general um, context of the problem of mental causation, um, and that is, you know, how we are supposed to explain uh, the sorts of reasons giving explanations. Uh, that we give when we talk about why we might believe something or why we um, act when we when we have reasons for these things, um, and the topic itself is is fairly complicated. So um, before we get into the actual details of the book, um, uh, it might be good to just start uh, with a little bit of background about um, yourself, your, you know, how you got into philosophy, um, and then how you got to this particular topic of rational causation. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I had an interest in philosophy uh, pretty early. I, you know, actually, when I was a child, I, I remember being genuinely worried about whether the, the, the world really existed or not, or whether it was just a trick that, that was being played on me. I remember walking down the street once and actually you know, whirling around to try and catch the world not existing behind me. <laughs> um, so, so when I when I when I read Descartes, I think I read Descartes as a teenager. I, I uh, it was it was a kind of thinking that that uh, that appealed to me that I, I somehow felt very at home thinking that way. And so I ended up uh, you know pursuing a PhD in uh, philosophy. And uh, one of the things I was very 
I was worried about one of the philosophical problems that really troubled me was, uh, you know, whether, whether we could really make sense of the idea that there were people in a physical world. I, I was worried about whether we were nothing but, you know, atoms in the void. And, and, um, the problem of mental causation in particular, uh, struck me as, as really troublesome. Uh, and that was what I ended up writing my dissertation on. And, uh, this book project in a way comes out of that. So, so in my dissertation, I, you know, I was worried about the problem of exclusion. You know, if, if physical events have complete physical causal histories, um, uh, could physical events really have any other kind of causes? And if, physical events can't have any other kinds of causes, you know, how does the mind really get in on any of the world's causal actions, so to speak? Uh, and the, the strategy that I pursued in my dissertation was kind of, I guess you could say, a quiet strategy. Um, I, I argued that um, a, a physical event could have a complete physical causal history and also have other kinds of causes as well. And the idea was to preempt the problem of mental causation by allowing for uh, overdetermination. And one, I'd say the most frequent grounds uh, for resistance to the strategy that I encountered was that people complained that I, I lacked a positive view. Um, uh, I, I wasn't saying how it was that the mind made a difference. I was just telling people not to worry about it since nothing ruled out that the mind could make a difference. You know, the problem of exclusion didn't successfully rule that out. Um, and I'm not sure that I, you know, I'm not sure that I, I, I agree with that criticism, but uh, I also uh, I started to have views about how the mind mattered and um, views that were inspired by a lot of work, uh, I guess you could say, in the Anscombe tradition of recent analytic philosophy. And uh, that's basically how I ended up writing this book. Uh, good. So um, maybe bef when we, it might be helpful before we sort of get into the nitty gritty to, to kind of lay out the, the problem of rational causation, uh, maybe with an example or two, and then um, the orthodox view that you are arguing against. Okay. Well, I guess we could, you know, start out just by saying, a little bit about the very idea of, of rational explanations. So um, I guess what's common ground among uh, different, different kinds of theorists um, is that there is a certain class of explanations that are distinctive in certain ways, uh, explanations of action and belief, among other things, that give the actor or believers reason for acting or believing. And uh, a couple of ways that these explanations are distinctive is, first, uh, that reasons tell you uh, what the agent uh, thought there was to be said for performing the action or for adopting the belief. So, you know, if, if you ask me why I'm going to the store and I say uh, I, I'm getting potatoes or something, um, uh, getting potatoes is something that I thought you know, spoke in favor of the action, spoke in favor of going to the store, justified it in a certain thin sense, or, you know, to, 
take an example of belief, if you ask me why I think that the butler did it, I might say, well, everyone else has an alibi. Again, this is a reason for part of what makes this a reason for belief is that it supports the conclusion that you know, the butler did it. Um, so there is this connection between um, reasons and justification. Um, also, uh, whereas in an ordinary causal explanation, uh, the thing that explains doesn't have to be known uh, by anybody. Um, uh, so if I say that you know someone got into a fight because he had very low blood sugar, um, it's not any kind of uh, objection to that explanation to say, you know, but he didn't know his blood sugar was very low. Um, so ordinary causal explanations, there is no kind of requirement of awareness. But um, if you say that I'm going to the store to get some potatoes, um, that that's my reason for going to the store, you can't follow that up and say, although he doesn't know it. Uh, or if someone says, but he, you know, he, he doesn't think he's going to get potatoes, the, the whole explanation becomes kind of obscure. Um, so there seems to be this connection between reasons and awareness. Uh, and, and also, in the case of action explanations, reasons have this forward-looking character. So people act with certain ends in mind, you know, at the end of getting potatoes. Anyway, so this is just the, um, you know, so this is just to introduce the kind of the idea of rational explanations. But... Um, so the orthodox view, I guess, uh, yeah, what I call psych psychologism in the book, um, analyzes rational explanations, uh, analyzes rational explanation in terms of um, causation by belief and desire in the case of action or in terms of just belief in, in the case of, uh, you know, why we why we believe. Mm -hmm. So according to the orthodox view, it's just a species of causal explanation. And and it has to be just a species of causal explanation, or else how how else could it be an explanation at all? So the idea is if I'm going to the store to get some potatoes, uh, you know, I, I believe that by going to the store I can get some potatoes and I want some potatoes and that belief and that desire get together somehow, and they prompt the bodily movement that constitutes the action. Mm -hmm. Or uh, if I, you know, if I believe that everyone else has an alibi, that, you know, prompts the belief that uh, the butler did it. And so, according to the orthodox view, since beliefs and desires um, are causes of bodily movements, they have to be physical or physically realized. And um, I think this speaks to how philosophers think about causation in especially when they're especially when they're doing philosophy of mind and, and philosophy of action. Um, so it's assumed, I guess it's sort of taken for granted mostly that wherever you have causation, you have something like implementing mechanisms. And that mental states prompt actions via mechanisms. So this is just efficient causation. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I think that in theories of causation, you know, when philosophers are just thinking about what causation is, even apart from thinking about the philosophy of mind or action, this idea, this commitment to efficient causation shows up when causation is explained in terms of laws. 
so as, as it often is. And so if you think there is this connection between causation and laws, then you think that the most revealing description of how a cause and effect are connected is going to invoke um, you know, how, how the laws play out in this particular case. Um, and the way my view is different is that I argue that rational causation consists in something else. It's not the manifestation of natural laws. It's the manifestation of certain rational abilities that, you know, that I spend... I spend the first couple of chapters of the book talking about. So let me just uh, step in for a moment. So the the uh, the view that you call psychologism is is you know sort of general. It's part of a general view, sometimes called naturalism uh, or physicalism, in which um, you have mental states, you know, beliefs, intentions, desires, and so forth. Uh, these are connected intimately in some way or other to, um, in our case, neural states. Um, and it's in virtue of the fact that you have a connection between, say, a neural state and some other, you know, bodily state or between two neural states, um, that you get the causal relationship between the first belief and the second belief and, or the intention and the action or the movement, I should say. Um, and that relationship between the mental states or the mental state and the movement uh, is explained in terms of a causal relationship between the other, between the, uh, the neural states and uh, the bodily movement or between the two neural states. Right. Okay. So that's the, that's the traditional or, you know, sort of the more or less orthodox view. Um, and, um, as you, as you indicated with your, when you talked about your, um, your dissertation on mental causation, I did mine on mental causation as well, but a, a different, a different problem. Um, that will lead to the problem of, um, well, ex causal exclusion, as you put it, that, um, well, if you've got these neural causes, right, the neural one state connected to another neural state, what is left for the beliefs to do? Um, and I take it that that, um, that problem is what prompts you to reject the orthodox view and go for something, you know, completely different. Um, so, so let's get into exactly how different it is. Um, so you explain it in terms not of a neural state connected to another neural state, right, with the, which, which underlie the, you know, the uh, beliefs or the beliefs in the movements, um, but in terms of a rational ability to, as you put it, represent uh, one thing as being uh, believed on the basis of something of another belief or being done on the basis of something else's being done. Um, so could you maybe explain the, the nature of this Sure. Representation. What you're, yeah. Yeah. Because that's, that's kind of the core of, that's what right. in chapters one and two, you, you use the same framework for both believing and acting. 
Right. Um, well, let's start with the theoretical case. Um, I think that the the best way to introduce the the idea is in terms of a, a variant of Morse paradox. So uh, the traditional version of Morse paradox is you know, it, it's raining, uh, but I don't believe that it's raining. Um, my variant uh, goes like this. Um, everyone else has an alibi, so the butler did it. But I don't believe the butler did it because everyone else has an alibi. Um, both of these statements are puzzling, I think, in the same way. Um, in both cases, something is put forward and then taken back. Um, in the one case, it's, it's a belief. And in the other case, it's something else. And I think what it, what, what it is is believing one thing on the basis of another. So um, part of almost any explanation of the uh, absurdity of more paradoxical statements is that the first conjunct expresses a mental state, and then you have this, um, you know, this statements like S believe that P that are typically used to ascribe that very state. Um, and I think that you know S believes that P because S believes that Q is is typically used to ascribe a mental state that one can express by saying something like um, uh, Q uh, so P. Um, so so I think that there is a, a, a single mental state that I describe this way. Uh, the subject view is you know views the to be believedness of P as following from the to be believedness of Q. So to just to just to clarify this um, this state that we ascribe uh, P is to be believed because Q is to be believed. Um, is itself a complex mental state that is distinct from simply P is to believe is to be believed or something like that. Is that is that correct? Right. Um, uh, it's 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 an attitude that you know it's an attitude that presupposes or that involves both believing that P or thinking of P as to be believed and thinking of Q as to be believed. Um, but it's 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 distinctive. Um, it's seeing the to be believedness of P as a consequence of the to be believedness of Q. Okay. Go on. So so um, so um, instead of having you know instead of a mental you know so one way I guess the traditional way of thinking about believing for a reason, you know, believing for a reason on the orthodox view would be that you have these two mental states and then something like a non-mental relation between them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the relation of causation is, is not itself a mental relation. Rather, it's, you know, this general relation of causation and, and it connects these two beliefs. Um, but on the kind of view that, on the view that I'm arguing for, um, the causation itself is a function of, um, is part of um, uh, the attitude that the subject is taking towards the relation between the propositions. So in some sense, the causation is, 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 is internal to the attitude. So when you say, you know, when you say, you know, he thinks that uh, the butler did it 
because he thinks that everyone else has an alibi. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is you're you are saying, you know, he has a mental state that he could express this way. Um, Q, so P. And it's the so that we understand kind of from the first person perspective mm-hmm. that that, you know, your explanation latches onto. So is this so I mean this one of the things that I um that I got from the book was this uh, sort of pluralism about the causal relationship. So when you say Q, so P, I mean, that's a, that's a single complex mental state, um, which sort of incorporates within it the rational causal relationship. Um, and so my, I guess my question was, is the nature of the relationship that's represented in that complex, is that a, is that a different sort of causal relationship from the one that the orthodox view posits between, you know, Q causing P? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, there are various kind of symptoms of it being different. Um, I mean, one, one symptom of it being different is that, you know, in, in the theoretical case, um, uh, rational cause and effect are necessarily simultaneous. So believing for a reason isn't, you know, believing you know, that it's, it, it's not when my believing that everyone else has an alibi leads to my believing that the butler did it. Right. That's that's the orthodox view. Yeah. Um, um, rather, it's my believing at a single time that um, you know it's it's it you know both both beliefs have to be as it were indexed to the same time. It's my believing at once. You know. Q so P. Q so P. Yeah. And so and so um, so rational causation in the theoretical case is necessarily simultaneous. Um, so let let me let me press this this sort of you know obvious kind of response, which will which is just well, gosh, you know, I mean, causes precede their effects. Um, you know, it's one thing followed by another thing. Um, what is it that makes this relationship, if it, if it is simultaneous, right? Um, wh- what is it that makes it causal? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a fair question. Um, so, um, we go back to, you know, the problem of mental causation. We say, well, you know, why are we interested in the problem of mental causation? Um, we're interested in the problem of mental causation because it's somehow it's important that the mind make a difference to what happens. You know, we wonder, you know, does what I believe really affect things? Does it really matter? You know, do my ends really affect things? Do they matter? Um, you know, we care about this question in part because of the plausibility of, of Alexander's dictum, uh, according to which to be real is to cause. Um, but the issue, you know, that, that dictum is plausible and, and, and powerful, not, 
you know, not if it's interpreted as saying something like, you know, to be real is to, you know, to, you know, is to cause in some specific way, you know, through forces or waves or whatever. So the issue, the very general issue is not whether things matter in this way or that, but whether they matter, period. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to explain what sort of difference rational explanations portray the mental as making. So, so the difference that my belief that everyone else has an alibi makes, the, the difference that rational explanations portray it as making, has this feature, say this feature of simultaneity. Um, this is a real difference that, 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 you know, that that belief makes. Um, and, and that it makes a difference in this way is enough you know, so to speak, to clear the bar for realness that's set up by Alexander's dictum. So, yes, the kind of causal explanations that I'm describing, you know, the kind of causation that I'm describing in this book is radically unlike ordinary causation in a number of ways. Uh, the simultaneity is one thing, is, is one aspect. In the practical case, I think that... that uh, Rational effects are are parts of um, the actions that uh, they're caused by, um, and that's also very odd. Um, but 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 they're, these are also not constitutive explanations. They're explanations that appeal to factors that make a difference in a distinctive way. Um, and so once one allows, as I argue, we should that the very things we cite in rationally explaining belief and action are difference makers, and that the understanding conveyed by giving someone's reason for belief or action constitutes a grasp of the way these difference makers make a difference, then I think, in a sense, whether the label, whether we label it causation or not, becomes less interesting. Um, I do think that causation, especially in philosophy, sometimes does have this sense of being a, a difference maker at a very high level of generality. And, and I think when it has that sense, you know, if we give it that sense that, you know, that what I'm calling rational causes, they really, they really deserve that label, uh, even though they're so unlike, uh, you know, ordinary kinds of causes. Uh, okay, so um, so you see causation in a much, you generalize, it sounds like you generalize it to, uh, something like uh, difference making. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not trying to give a reductive analysis of causation. Obviously, there are there are kinds of difference making which I think we would clearly want to separate from um, causal explanations, and you know, certainly constitutive explanations might be among them. Um, but I don't think rational causal explanations fit comfortably into that category either but i don't know I, sorry i don't mean to anticipate your your question no that's okay i just um i i guess this was one of the one of the features of the book that i found you know very intriguing um and so i i just wanted to explore it a little bit sure. a little bit more um so maybe maybe we can talk about action and 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 continue the exploration sure um, yeah, give a, a case of, you know, doing something as opposed to believing something. Sure. Well, let me say 
you know, I guess what the parallel, I mean, you mentioned earlier that I kind of try to yeah. give accounts that have the same structure um, for both belief and action. So the, uh, on the view that I argue for, um, just as when I say that you believe P because you believe Q, I'm attributing to you a thought of the form Q is to be believed, so P is to be believed. When I say that you are Xing because you're Ying, I'm attributing to you a thought of the form Ying is to be done, so Xing is to be done. Um, so, so we could start with I think you know, and that's so we could start I think with with this idea, which I think is is pretty uncontroversial, that there's some connection between doing something and thinking of it as the thing to do, or as I put it representing it as to be done. So, um, you know, uh, I, I've decided that uh, I should bring potato salad to the party. Um, and once I've decided that that is the thing to do, then certain other things will also look like they are to be done as well. So, for example, buying potatoes. And in this way, I can extend a normative status from from end to means, from bringing potato salad to the party to buying potato salad. Um, now, the unusual claim, or the claim that I know that people find odd, um, is, the, is that acting is nothing more than according a normative status. Um, acting is nothing more you know, than representing something as to be done. So, so what I'm saying is what it is to be uh, bringing potato salad to the party is to is to be representing bringing potato salad to the party as to be done, and and what it is to be bring potatoes you know going to the store mm-hmm. to get potatoes etc is, is ex- extended from the bringing to the store going. So let me let me uh, yeah and this was another thing that um, that I found very uh, intriguing. Um, it sounded like, um, and you should, you really should correct me. It's, it sounded like action was a kind of representing rather than a kind of, of doing. And I wasn't quite sure I got what, um, what you meant by that. Right. Um, yeah, I guess it can sound like what I'm, what I'm doing is, is kind of pushing actions back into the head or yeah. something like that. Um, right. Um, but actually, what I'm what I'm doing is pushing thoughts out into the world. Or, um, that's the idea. Um, so um, the idea is that some of our movements are themselves direct manifestations of our practical rationality. So my going to the store is my answer to the question of what to do. It is the conclusion of my deliberation, and because it is. Um, action, my actions have this feature, which is otherwise very mysterious, that, uh, that I can explain, you know, if you ask me what I'm doing, I can say I'm going to the store, um, or I'm buying potatoes, say, um, without having to observe myself or to look at evidence, um, without having to take the sort of view of myself that you would have to take to figure out what I'm doing. So we speak with a certain kind of authority about our actions, and and this is this is not mysterious if our actions are themselves judgments of a certain kind, whereas if actions are 
mechanical events, it, it is extremely mysterious. Um, and uh, we also, I think, treat actions as, we, we do treat actions as embodying uh, judgments of what to do. Uh, and, and because we think of them this way, um, uh, we think that actions are themselves fit subject for questions of justification. So if I see you doing something, I, 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 I say, you know, why are you doing that? I mean, it's the action itself is, as it were, a, a, a statement that you view something as to be done. And I say, well, why are you doing that? It's like the action itself is something that, that, that uh, justification is suitable for. Um, so, so is, is, is this, um, again, are you, are you, would it be correct to say that you're sort of uh, extending or, or generalizing the notion of a judgment? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, um, yes, I mean, I, I don't know about generalizing, but, um, yes, I'm, I'm, I guess what I'm saying is that, um, um, extending or generalizing the notion of judgment, I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm saying that in some sense, judgments can be, as it were, embodied in actions, um, and so, so I'm, when I say acting is representing as something as to be done, I'm not talking about sentences in the language of thought floating in the head or, or images in phenomenal consciousness. Um, rather, I'm saying that, that there are certain kind of movements of, 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 of you know, certain special animals, right, us, um, that, uh, that themselves have these have certain features of judgments, I guess you could say. Okay. And I think I, I, I also, I worry that we haven't kind of, um, I haven't, I haven't gotten to the causation part, but, um, you know, so, so I think when, you know, there's this other feature of actions, which is also puzzling when you do something for a reason. Um, uh, you know, if I see you going to the store, um, you know, and I say, you know, why are you going to the store? And you say, I'm making potato salad. Um, um, this explanation connects certain things you're doing now um, to uh, a complex action. And there's, you know, if we just look at kind of the mechanical facts about what's going on with you now, there isn't, you know, there's nothing there that, that it seems like connects it to this larger action. Mm-hmm. And so, the view that I'm arguing for is that, um, is that, you know, what it is for you to be, uh, uh, buying potatoes because you're bringing potato salad to the party is, is just for you to have inferred as it were that, um, buying potatoes is the thing to do because, uh, bring potato salad to the party is the thing to do. So, so, so inference itself becomes embodied. So, yeah. So, it, it, just as in the theoretical case, the causation itself is a matter of the agents. Yeah, it's, it's a matter of the agents drawing a, a practical, in this case, conclusion from a practical premise. But yes, uh, the the. Yes, the, that practical inferential ju- judgment that constitutes the causation is itself 
embodied in a movement. Now, one of the um, in in after you introduce the view in the first couple of chapters, you you also address uh, um, the the problem of other animals, right? Because you you make um, sort of the self conscious uh, expressibility of the um, of the reason um, as uh, a necessary condition, I believe. And animals, of course, can't, um, you know, typically do not express their reasons for things. And yet we will often want to say that, you know, the dog is sitting at the door because um, uh, sitting at the door is an indicator, is, is, uh, you know, indicates wanting to go out in some way and... um, uh, the reason that they're sitting in front of the door is because they want to go out. Um, and so animals do things for reasons, but they don't seem to satisfy your requirement for being able to express those reasons. Right. Um, so maybe you could, um, tell us, um, how you deal with the, with that problem of, of animals, you know, doing things for reasons, but not having the full sort of cognitive capacities that we do. Right. Um, yeah. So, um, so I do treat, um, believing and acting for a reason as essentially self-conscious. And I mean, I actually think this is, um, this is a datum that, that a theories have to explain. And it follows from this that, um, animals are excluded. And I mean, I guess I could start by saying, you know, certainly in the case of, of people, there is this connection, um, that, that we, when you say that someone is doing something for a reason or they, they believe for a reason, you know, to the extent that we view this reason as, as, as unavailable for, um, you know, the person to give, um, we become more doubtful that this really is their reason. Um, so I, but I know that this is a feature of the view that's going to put people off. And so I have a chapter where I try and, you know, make it, make it go down a little more smoothly. Um, and what I, I argue is that my view is consistent with animals having a lot, um, you know, by way of kind of cognitive capacity. I think animals are knowers, um, that animals know on the basis of perception and that they are responsive to what they know. Um, but I argue they don't believe, uh, because belief as at least as traditionally understood is a matter of viewing a proposition as true and animals don't understand propositions. So in the case of people, you know, I, I don't, I don't count someone as believing something if they don't possess the conceptual wherewithal to understand the relevant proposition. Um, and, and animals, this is a requirement that as, as far as we know, as far as I know, um, although nothing really hangs on this, this empirical statement being true, but as far as I know, animals don't grasp propositions, you know, and if some do, that's fine too. Let them be rational animals also. But, um, so I argue that whereas belief relates a believer to a proposition, knowledge relates a, a knower to a fact. And so we can say, you know, so it's consistent with the view that I 
argue for that animals do know things, that animals you know, react on the basis of what they know, but they aren't rational animals in the sense that, that we are. And, and that's because there is this tie between self-consciousness, rationality, and understanding. Uh, and, and animals lack all of those things. Well, then how, um, yeah, this was another, another intriguing part was, was this relationship then between belief and, and knowledge. Um, you know, the, the, the standard, of course, JTB justified right. true belief analysis of knowledge. Um, you, you can't, that presumably you think that that is incorrect, right? And not because of Gettier type problems, but but because the relationship between knowing knowing and believing it just isn't one of um, hold part. Um, I think that it may you know that knowledge, you know that in the case of humans, knowledge that P entails belief that P. Uh-huh. Um, so I think knowledge takes, you know, I argue that knowledge takes a different form in humans and animals. Um, so, um, you know, the, 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 you know, I guess the, the basis for this argument or the way this argument gets off the ground is, is through an argument of Zeno Wendler's. Um, so Wendler kind of observes that, uh, that P can refer either to a proposition or to a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't know whether you want me to like, so, so, you know, so, uh, so, you know, it's at least, we have to at least allow for the possibility that when you say S believes that P, that P might refer to one thing. When you say S knows that P, that P might refer to something else. And then there are, I think, pretty convincing arguments that in the, in the context of belief, that P refers to a proposition, whereas in the context of, um, you know, no, no. knowledge, um, that P refers to a fact. Uh, and so, uh, uh, so a lot of what we say about animals, I think, can be true without it being true that, that they grasp propositions. Um, uh, you know, I don't know whether you want me to rehearse those arguments here, or um, but uh, well, the the idea was just to understand how you handled the problem of uh, expressibility, uh, the, that condition for for our um, rational, you know, for our acting or believing for reasons and animals not being able to do that. And I take it that your your response is, well, they can act for reasons um, because they are uh, they are aware of facts. Yeah, I think that we have these explanations that I think are that are left entirely intact by what I have to say, which is, you know, we can say, you know, that, you know, I can say that, that, uh, Opie is, is pawing open the pantry door because he, he wants some treats or because treats are inside. Um, and there's nothing that I say that's somehow deprives us of taking those explanations as, as, you know, at, at face value. Um, 
Uh, it's just that the kind of capacity that we invoke of the cat is is an epistemic capacity and not a doxastic capacity. So so when I say you know if I say that you know if I say that that Sam is is opening the pantry door um, because there are cookies inside, um, that's that you know it's part of the 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 truth conditions of that that claim or this this claim cannot be true in any case if uh Sam doesn't have the concept of a cookie or Sam is incapable of grasping the proposition that you know that cookies are in the pantry um and so when we deploy this kind of explanation i mean these explanations in some way they're 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 very similar i think they're we use can often use the same words, but but the requirements when we give this kind of explanation in the case of a person are very different than they are when we give this kind of explanation of, of the behavior of an animal. And I think that the differences there's a bunch of I guess interrelated differences. Like and uh, again, it's I think this what's required in the case of a person is both self consciousness and understanding. Uh, the ability to say what you're doing, the ability to say why you're doing it, if, if there is a, a reason for doing it. Um, and these two things are connected. And in the case of animals, we, we, our, our explanations like this don't require anything like that of them. And so that's why I think there's a fundamental, actually just a fundamental difference between the explanations in the two kinds of cases and, and, and so I think we we ought to be giving different kinds of theories of uh, of you know the, the the human responsiveness to reason and whatever the animal analog of that is. Um, so I, I guess I kind of think it's a virtue of the account, but I, I know that it won't um, play that way for everyone. So <laughs> um, so so with your with. Uh, how do you how do you see the relationship between um, explanation and uh, and causation um, on this view? Um, so you you respond to the the sort of I don't know if it's orthodox, but the Davidsonian view um, or, or received view, um, in which you have causal relations between particular events um, as they are subsumed under laws. And then explanations um, can advert to or designate these these causal relationships, um, but they don't have to in order to be explanatory. Um, what what for you is the relationship between um, explanation and and causation? Um, I guess uh, about the. Um, I mean, so I, I I'll say something specific about. Uh, rational causation, rational explanation. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that it's it's an upshot of my view um, that the very things that we cite in rationally explaining belief in action are rational causes, and and also that the understanding that is conveyed by giving someone's reason for belief or action constitutes a grasp of the nature of the causation that links reason and its effect. And so, you know, it's not just that 
you know, somehow we, it, when we give people's reasons, we're, we're lashing on to, you know, bits of the physical world, which through principles that have nothing to do with, with um, uh, what we learn from the explanations, mm-hmm. um, produce the effects. Um, rather, the, the principles that tie cause to effect are um, the same uh, as, as the, the principles that um, uh, illuminate uh, what, what happens for us. Um, so you just don't have that gap. So there's no gap. And, of course, I think this is also a, a virtue of the account. I think it's, you know, it's, a, um, it's always, I, I found, a, a disappointing feature of, uh, you know, say, um, a lot of the traditional views of rational explanation, that there is this divorce between um, the kind of the, the, the concept, the Kind of the conceptual structure of our understanding um, uh, of rationality and and the metaphysical character of the you know the you know, what underlies the relation between cause and effect. So um, okay, that's that's good. Um, so to to move towards the towards the end of the book. Um, uh, you kind of widen your scope to um, to some general metaphysical theses about events and states, um, and and in particular to uh, to physicalism. Uh, so I, do, I wanted to make sure that we get to in particular to your your view on physical physicalism. Um, so let me start with that and and um, uh, maybe go back to events and states. Um, maybe your answers will, will require you to do that anyway. Um, but you, uh, about physicalism, um, you, you, first of all, you, um, you characterize your view as, as sort of between, you know, sort of naturalism and non-naturalism. Um, and, um, and you say that you agree with a, a sort of a, a global supervenience thesis, but nothing, nothing stronger than that. Um, so if, if you might, um, explain your, your view in relation to the sort of standard physicalist, uh, or naturalist view in terms of the relation between, um, you know, reasons, explanation, or rational causation, and and physical causation, or mental states, and physical states? Um, okay, well, that, that, there are a lot of questions in yeah. there. So, yeah. so let me, I mean, there's something pretty simple I can say, which is that every physicalist that I've ever talked to thinks that it's central that physics and chemistry and, you know, in any case, the physical sciences carve nature of the joints, and that in some sense they have a monopoly on causation. That all causation must be, if not physical, then mechanistic, where mechanistic means, you know, ultimately physical. Mm-hmm. And I reject that. Um, so I feel like it's this very straight, there's this very straightforward way in which I reject physicalism. And 
um, you know, I'm also, I'm not a dualist in the sense that I'm not arguing for immaterial substances. I'm, I guess I'm trying to understand what it might mean to say that we are rational animals. You know, I think we are animals. Uh, we have certain capacities that distinguish us from other animals. And, you know, and those are the topics, you know, of, of the first few chapters of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as um, states and events go, yeah, I mean, some, uh, you know, I, I, I have a chapter where I argue for a, a view of states and events, and that view informs the, like, the particular form that, you know, my anti-physicalist argument, arguments take. Um, but, uh, you know, putting a lot of the detail aside, um, I mean, I think most, most metaphysicians think state identity is a function of causal powers. So, you know, state A is identical to state B if they have the same causal powers. Um, uh, you know, uh, state realization is also a matter of, you know, state A realizes state B if uh, state B has, you know, contributes a subset of the causal powers to the objects that have it, as, as the realizing state does. Um, if, if, if mental states have causal powers, if they contribute causal powers, to use this, this vernacular, um, mm-hmm. this, this little language, um, uh, if mental states contribute causal powers to the objects that are in mental states that, that aren't contributed by physical states, then mental states are not physical states and are also not realized by physical states. So, um, so let me just, just, just for, for clarification. Um, so what would you say is the, the relationship then between, um, say minds and brains? Um, I don't, you know, I don't have any, um, I don't, I don't produce any, uh, any, any formula that, you know, that's particularly new about this. I mean, I, I, I guess what I, what I'm saying, I'm open to finding out what the relation is between minds and brains. I, obviously there are all kinds of specific dependencies between, you know, this cognitive ability, um, particular cognitive abilities on specific parts of the brain and parts of the brain doing very specific things. Um, and I, I, I find all that stuff very interesting and none of it is, 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 you know, inconsistent with what I'm arguing about. So obviously there are these relations of dependency that can be more or less specific. And, and a lot of that's just, you know, empirical, these are empirical questions that, that I don't think it's my place to, to, you know, to speak about. Um, but you're, you, I mean, you, the, it seems like the, the strongest connection that you want to have is, is a, a global supervenience thesis, right? Which no, notoriously is, is quite weak. Well, right? I mean, I, it's not that, I mean, so I, I, I'm going to reject identity, um, and I'm going to reject realization because mostly these depend on, on the, the physical state or event or whatever Uh kind of 
having all of the causal power that the the mental state does or the mental event does. Uh-huh. And so all that kind of identity realization, all, all of those kinds of theses I'm going to reject. Uh-huh. Um, I think all that's wrong. Um, you know, if, if there are, if there are, I'm sure there are more, there's something more illuminating to say about the relation between the mind, you know, the mental and the physical than that, you know, uh, in an identical physical universe, everything would be the same mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm, obviously, there's there's something more illuminating to say about that. Mm-hmm. Um, whether, but I don't think that whatever more illuminating there is to say about that, that it supports the you know the reductive aspirations of the of naturalism and and. I also don't think that given that I'm arguing that, you know, that, that, uh, given that I'm arguing that mental states have, you know, distinct, distinctive causal powers that can't be reduced to the physical, like whatever that turns out to be is not going to be something that would satisfy the physicalist. You know, the mere dependencies is never going to be something that satisfies the physicalist because the physicalist is going to reject, you know, um, these kinds of unreduced causal powers. Uh, yes, that's, that's quite true. Um, yes. So you, you, you are sort of consciously swimming against a very strong tide here. Um, you know, the whole, not necessarily reductionistic, but, but certainly the idea that um, even if you have these complex mental uh, attitudes, you know, Q, so P, um the the physicalist would still respond something like well um okay so we have a rational ability to have these complex states um and they are uh you know having those particular complex states uh can be mechanistically explained you know maybe that's maybe that's a type of constitutive explanation not not conceptual but in terms of what it's made of um and that doesn't have to be reductive uh either um would, would that sort of a view uh, is is are you open to that sort of? um, i'm not sure actually i'm not sure i understand the view that you just Describe. Yeah, just tell me. Say, run it by me one more time. Okay. The idea is that you 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 get the rational abilities uh, that you posit to um, to have attitudes of of these complex, you know, Q so P, right? Or or some sort of um, to be done, you know, X is to be done because Y is to be done, um, and these are. Uh, so to take the the initial case, the Q so P. Um, so 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 far, I've that's that's your view. And then the question is, well, what sort of relationship is there going to be between uh, an attitude of Q so P and what's going on in the brain? Um, and uh, I was just asking if. Uh, if that view, if if you think it's perfectly consistent with what you've said, that the complex mental state of Q so P might have some sort of uh, mechanistic 
uh, explanation in terms of, uh, lower, you know, neural goings on, um, but is not reducible to them and certainly is not identical to them. Um, would that, would that sort of a picture be just, yeah, it just depends on the nature and the ambition of the explanation. Okay. You know, um, so I think, I think we just have to be, you know, I just have to hear in more detail what, what exactly the, the explanation was trying to accomplish. I mean, if, if it's just, um, you know, illuminating, you know, what, 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 you know, what, what has to be going on, uh, you know, in the brain, uh, in order for these kinds of abilities to exist or, or to be exercised on, you know, on particular occasions or something like that, then, then that's fine. Uh Um, but if it's, you know, I, I don't see how it could be, I don't think it it makes sense. I don't think it could make sense to say that somehow the causation itself, that you know, the 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 kind of causal connection that exists between uh, believing that P and believing that Q, um, in 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 the case of rational causation, could consist in you know an efficient causal mm-hmm. connection. Um, so yeah, so if the you know, but again, I think I think I would just have to. I think we just have to look at a very detailed explanation. I mean, in the book, I try and you know, I try and examine you know the specific arguments that various physicalists have made and show how how the arguments or how the positions kind of run run afoul of of uh, the distinctiveness of rational causation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, fair enough. Um, I and I yeah, I didn't. Um, I was I was trying to sort of forge a, a somewhat of a connection, I suppose, between the um, naturalist naturalistic, uh, or at least a naturalistic perspective um, that would still preserve um, your explanation of, of rational causation. Yeah. Maybe, um, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I just, I think it just depends. I think it depends on, I mean, I, I, the thing, the sort of thing you're describing, I think it could be perfectly innocuous by my lights or not, depending yeah. on how the the details go. Right. Um, yeah. Um, well, I think actually we are, we are out of time. Um, so this has been a very illuminating conversation for me. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure. I uh, maybe you can give us a, a, a preview of, of what your next uh, what your next big project is. Um, well, uh, right now I I have a paper about uh, the connection between uh, believing and knowing that you believe, uh, uh, and also a paper about. Uh, uh, agent causation, uh-huh. um, and both of these are are related to the project in the book. Um, so, I argue in favor about belief that that to believe is to know you believe, and that uh, and in the paper about agent causation, I argue that that various theories of agent causation have have misunderstood uh, the nature of the kind of efficacy that agents have. Uh, so those are the, that's what I'm working on now. 
Very good. Um, okay. Well, uh, thank you very much for your time. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, it was a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to an interview with Eric Marcus, Associate Professor of Philosophy at Auburn University, about his new book, Rational Causation, just out from Harvard University Press. I'm Carrie Figdor. This is New Books in Philosophy. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and thank you for listening.